So Kermansville Alliance, we do this thing where we have, if you have the YouVersion Bible app, you just need to open that, or you're able to open it, and click on the little menu, it's three lines, some people call it a hamburger menu, and click on events, and there should be a Bible app event near you, and so you can find the text for this morning's sermon and uh, so on. If you'd rather do things the old-fashioned way, uh, just open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1. Uh, we're going to be reading verses 15 through 23 in a few moments. This is the back-to-school message. And uh, it's for all of us, though, but it is especially for those who are headed back to school, whether you're going to a public school or a private school, whether you're going to grade school or high school or college or university, whether you're going um, to a Christian school or to a secular school. Um, I want to speak to you today. And, and here's what I want to do. I want you to feel a spiritual reality that can help you as you go back to school. Did you hear that sentence? I want you to feel a spiritual reality that can help you as you go back to school. Because the reality is this, that as you go through life, and particularly as you face something new or any transition or any kind of, even a small change, there are people who are praying for you. They're praying for you regardless of what's going on in your life. They're praying that you will make that transition and you will, you will know God through that time. People here at Kermansville Alliance pray for you. And that makes a difference when someone is praying for you. And their prayers, more accurately, the God who hears their prayers, can kind of act as an anchor in your life to kind of settle you and keep you secure as you face waters of life. In fact, that's what the picture is on the screen there. Looking down from the top, that's a chain of an anchor going down into the water. I read a little bit about anchors this week, just uh, because I was talking about this in the sermon, and something I didn't realize is that anchoring systems are pretty sophisticated. You know, I can remember growing up, and my dad would take me to Kyle Lake, and we'd go, we'd go fishing up there. He had a little aluminum boat and a little uh, Evinrude or a Johnson motor on the back that never worked, you know. And um, he had a rope that was in there. It was a nylon rope that he had, and on the end of that, he had half of a cement block, and that was the anchor. And uh, we've left a couple half of cement blocks in the bottom of Kyle Lake because we couldn't get them back up after they went down. The anchor, uh, the anchor held uh, pretty well at that time. But that is not really what anchoring is about. Anchoring is really incredibly sophisticated. That the webpage I saw, one of them said, eight steps to anchoring in a in a storm. And who knew that it was so com complex? But it turns out that anchoring is complex. There's there's the Question of what are you anchored to? And they said, if you have an expensive ship, then you ought to have the expensive diving gear to go down and see what the bottom's like to make sure that that's a bottom that's going to hold you in a storm. What's on a seafloor? And then how much scope? I think of that as slack. How much scope should you have? If you have too much, you're going to be just blown and, and pulled down. If it's too little, then you're going to be spun around. And, and that, that scope is important to understand. And, and then there's the task of attaching the, the anchoring chain to a snubber. And those two are, snubber? Well, I don't even know what this is. Anchoring is really a complex thing. And the reason that I was looking at anchoring as I was preparing a back-to-school sermon is because I know that going back to school, whether you're a teacher or a student or even a custodian or a school bus driver, going back to school, you're really headed into uncharted water. I was talking to a teacher this morning. He says, I'm teaching something a little bit different this year. That's uncharted water. And every student doesn't have the same teacher they had last year. It's uncharted water. And just like the sea, there are days of clear sailing ahead. And just like the sea, 
there are days of some white caps ahead. And it's going to be a little choppy, and it might toss you around enough you want to throw up. And just like the sea, there are storms ahead. And what I want to suggest to you is what I said to you a moment ago, that your church family can provide an anchor that will hold you fast as they pray for you in storms. There is a spiritual reality that you can hang on to as you go back to school. Now, the passage that I asked you to open to a moment ago is surprisingly relevant to this. Uh, it's uh, written by a man named Paul. We call him the Apostle Paul. I talk about him all the time because he wrote a chunk of the New Testament. The Apostle Paul was a church planter. He traveled from one place to the next to the next, and he planted churches. And then when he left that place, he would often write letters to see how they're doing. And some of his letters were kind of circulated from one place to another. This book that you're open to, the book of Ephesians, he wrote to a group of Christians in a city called Ephesus while he was in prison. And what I want you to see today is how he prayed for these people. And I want you to know that the good people of Kerwinsville Alliance pray that way for you. Let's read together. We're in 1 Corinthians, I'm sorry, yeah, right. We're in Ephesians chapter 1, and we're going to begin at verse 15. Follow along silently as I read. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord, in the Lord Jesus and your love for all of God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you a spirit, the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and the incomparably, his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head of everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Okay, now this passage is for the people at Ephesus. And this passage is for the people of Clearfield County. It's for us. This passage is even for you when you're going to school. And I want to speak to students today, but I want to clarify this. As I'm speaking to students today, and I'm talking about some of these blessings that belong to you, I'm speaking to you as students who have opened your heart to Christ. Not students who just happen to be here this morning because your parents always made you come here, but students who have said, I know that I need a Savior. I know that I have messed up in my life. And I believe that Jesus died on the cross to pay for my sins. I believe that he takes away my shame. I trust you, Jesus. I believe in you, and I will follow you. All in all, that is who I want to speak to today, but I'm speaking to everybody today. What I want to begin by telling you, or begin telling you, is that you have godly people who love you. I'm going to tell you a story, and I have permission to tell this story, and I needed permission to tell this story, because it happened in a small group. And we have a saying at Kerbinsville Alliance, what happens in small group stays in small group. Because sometimes people tell stuff that's going on in their life that they'd rather that not just everybody knew about. You understand? But I have permission to tell this story. A few weeks ago, we were studying this passage in Ephesians. And I looked out at the small group, and I kind of shoot from the hip when I'm leading a small group, you know? 
And so I asked this question kind of as a discussion starter, conversation starter. I said to them, who do you have in your life who prays for you? I asked you that question a few moments ago, a few minutes ago. Who do you have in your life who prays for you? And then we went around a table. I started on my left like I was dealing cards, and I just went around a table, answered the question. And, and, and I remember I said to Milton, I said, Milton, who do you have in your life that probably prays for you more than anybody else prays for you? And he said, my wife, Maria, would probably be the one. And I said, Praton, who do you have in your life who probably prays for you more than anybody else prays for you? And he said, my mom, probably my mom. And then I said to Praton's dad, to Eric, I said, who do you have in your life who prays for you more than anyone else prays for you? And he said, probably Praton's mom. She's the one, you know. She's doing double duty there, isn't she, right? You see, if you're married to a committed Christian or have a Christian dad or mom, definitely they are probably the ones who pray for you more than anybody else. But I want to tell you this, when you're shooting from the hip, sometimes you say things and ask questions that you wish you hadn't. And as soon as those words had passed through my lips and I said, who do you have in your life who prays for you the most, I realize that not every person here has a Christian spouse. In fact, in fact, some here have parents who have already died and gone to be with Jesus. And that can be a very difficult question for them. And I wished I hadn't asked the question, but I'm in, you know. <laughs> I dealt the cards. I need to play them. I'm in. Here we go, you know. And, and so I'm wondering, how will he respond? How will those guys who fit that respond? As we went around the table, we got to this one guy, and he said something like this. He said, that's a good question. I have an uncle who probably prays for me. And then a beautiful awareness came to my mind. I pray for that guy. Often. Maybe more than his uncle does. I pray for him more than I pray for Milton. Sorry, Milton. I pray for him more than I pray for Patan or Eric. I pray for him because I know his life situation. And so I told him. I said, hey, buddy, I pray for you often. There are some weeks that I pray for you every day. And I have complete confidence that in that gathering of men who were sitting around there eating junk food and pizza with the Bible open, that there are other men who would say, I pray for him a lot too. I pray for him a lot too. We pray for one another. Now, I told you that story, not so you would say, wow, Pastor Steve's so good, he prays for people. That's not what I told you that story. I told you that story so you would see something beautiful about being part of a church family. There are godly people in your church family who pray for you often. Maybe they pray for you more than anyone else prays for you. If you are part of Kerwinsville Alliance or any other healthy church family, you have godly people who love you and pray for you. They're actually people who are thankful that you're here. They're thankful to know you and thankful that you know them. They enjoy who you are. They love you. They're kind of like Paul was toward the Ephesians in verse 16. He says, I have not stopped giving thanks for you. I'm glad you're in my life. You have people like that in your life and it follows that they are praying for you. And that's how verse 16 proceeds. It says, remembering you in my prayers. How are they praying for you? Well, they're praying that you'll be anchored safely throughout your entire life. And if you're a student, as you go to school. They see something on your social media that indicates that you're kind of feeling down. 
and they pray for you. Or they hear that maybe you're making some bad choices and they don't judge you. (laughs) They just pray for you. They hear you're doing well and you've done really well so far this semester. And guess what they do? They pray for you. You see, just as Paul kept in touch with what was happening with the Christians in Ephesus, you have people who keep in touch with what's happening in your life, not because they're busy bodies, bodies, but because they love you and they pray for you. And they pray meaningful prayers for you. I can remember when I was a kid, my mom taught me to pray, my dad taught me to pray before bed. Here was the drill, ready? Now I lay me down to sleep, I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I shine to die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. And then there was the list. God bless mom and dad and Jane and John and Lisa and Johnny and Glenn and Millie and Missy and Mike and Dave and Wendy and Heather and Kenny. Write down a whole list. You know, I could do it so fast. Now, I'm not saying that was a meaningless prayer, but I'm saying that as I matured, my prayers became more meaningful. You get that, right? The people who are praying for you and your church family, they're not just praying that you get good grades. They are praying that you get good grades, but their prayers are bigger than that. And they're not just praying that you'll stay out of trouble. They are praying that you'll stay out of trouble, but their prayers are bigger than that. And they're not just praying that you'll make friends. They are praying that you'll make friends and the right kind of friends, but their prayers are bigger than that. People who really know you and really know God, they are praying that you will know God. That's what this passage says. Paul was praying for the people he loved and cared about. I keep asking, verse 17, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. Now, if you take a casual read of that, you might say, oh yeah, they're praying, Paul's praying that they'll be wise. They'll have the spirit of wisdom. But there's a reason he wants them to have the spirit of wisdom and the spirit of revelation. And that's because he wants them to know God better. It's not just so they'll be wise and they can stay out of trouble. It's not just so that they can stay away from evil by making good decisions. It's not just so they know how to behave. He's praying for something much bigger than that. It's so that the Holy Spirit of wisdom and revelation will be with them in such a way, well, it's there in verse 17. So you may know Him better. And people who love you are praying meaningful prayers that you will know the heart of God. They are praying that you will feel God's pleasure in your life. They are praying that you will sense His nearness from day to day. They are praying that you will hear His still small voice, His gentle whisper in your heart regularly. See, that's what Paul was praying for the people he loved in Ephesus. That is what people who love you are praying for you. They're praying for these kinds of miracles that the eyes of your heart would be open. I mean, look at those words in verse 18. He says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great strength for us who believe. People pray that you will have open eyes because open eyes see important things. In in verse 18, it speaks of hope. 
Open eyes. See hope. You got hope? Do you need hope? Someone might say to me through the week, if I happen to have been reading some news headlines, do you have hope, Steve? And I'll say, no, I got mass shootings, I got opioid addictions, and I got racism. Not much hope, right? I'm sure your eyes are open to those kinds of things that would lead you toward a path of despair. But we're called to something higher than despair. We're called to something different than despair. We're called to be heirs, ones who inherit, joint heirs with Christ. Children of God, loved by God, friends with God. That's what verse 17 speaks of when it says, I'm sorry, verse 18 speaks of when it says, called to the riches of his glorious inheritance. And you cannot despair if your eyes are on your glorious inheritance, which belongs to you in Christ Jesus. And there are people here at Kerwinsville Alliance that would pray that you would have that hope. There are people here at Kerwinsville Alliance that pray that you will never despair. There are people here at Kerwinsville Alliance that pray that you will always find a reason to look up. There are people here at Kerwinsville Alliance that pray that you would sleep like a child. There are people here at Kerwinsville Alliance that would pray that you would never give up hope and find a reason to dream. You see, when your heart's eyes are open to see the hope to which you're called, it changes everything. When the eyes of your heart are opened, they they remind you and show you God's call in your life. Now, when I use that phrase, God's call in your life, I'm not talking about his call to preach or his call to go to a distant place and share the gospel. I believe in that kind of call. I believe that I'm called by God to preach. There are some people who have heard me and they don't agree with that, but I believe that that is the case. <laughs> Thanks for laughing at that and not saying Amen. That's not what I'm talking about, that kind of call. I'm talking about something more basic and more universal among us who believe. And that is a call from God to be his treasure. You have a call from God to be his. You heard it one time. It might have been at a camp. It might have been in a sermon. It might have been in a Sunday school. It might have been when you were alone with your family. You might have just been reading the Bible. You might have been listening to Christian music. And you heard this voice of God say, you're mine and I'm yours. And that call, that call says nothing else can have you. You are mine. And that call is absolutely amazing. I mean, it's, it's one of the problems of growing up in the church culture that I grew up in. If I was 17 years old and someone said, you've been called to God, Steve, to be his treasure, I'd say, yeah, uh-huh. Because I've heard that for over and over again. But if I never heard such a thing... Think of what that would do. You've been called by God to be his treasure, Steve. Wait, what? Me? By the God who made all this? He called me? Yes. He called you personally to be his. That would change everything. And if you are his, you have heard that call and you know you've heard that call. Maybe more than once. That quiet whisper or that pronounced expression of his love for you. You see that because God has opened the eyes of your heart. Some people don't see that. Some people don't get it. A lot of incredibly educated people don't get that. And when you go, go to college, they'll let you know they don't get it. Some of them. Oh yeah, any Christians here? <laughs> How can you believe that? 
wait, this is a, this is a math class. What are we talking about Christianity for? Because I don't get it. That's why we're talking about it. And the eyes of their heart have never been open. That's what's going on. They're spiritually blind. But the eyes of your heart, they're open. And when they are open, you can see God's call and you can perceive a sense of, never the entirety of, but a sense of the riches, the glorious inheritance, verse 18 says, in his holy people. And you're one of God's holy people. You are holy. Here's what that means. That if you're trusting in Christ, the blood of Christ separates you from guilt and shame so that when God looks at you, in His eyes, you are pure and holy. And His eyes are the only eyes that really matter. What riches are ours when we open our eyes to them and see them? When the eyes of your heart are open, you can see that. And when the eyes of your heart are open, you can see God's amazing power. And evidently, it's a power that cannot be overstated. Sometimes we bring our problems to God and we say, God, I don't think I can do this and I need your help if you can. If you can? What do you mean if I can? And perhaps Paul was anticipating someone might be thinking that way when he speaks about what kind of power this is in the latter part of verse 19. He says, that power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead. How many horsepower was that? You could have the Dodge Charger and the Dodge Demon and the Hellcat and all those horsepower cars and not have a candlelight of the power that God has. And it's power for us to know Him and to walk after Him. When your eyes are open, you see those important things. But here's the deal. You need open eyes to see those things. And that's why people in churches like Kermansville Alliance pray that the eyes of your heart would be open. When you go to college, if you go to college, or even when you go to high school, it would be true, you'll be around people whose eyes are not open, who don't see these things. And it doesn't matter, honestly, it doesn't matter if you go to the university, a public school, or even a private non-Christian university, or if you go to a great Christian college or a Christian university, you're going to encounter people who are spiritually blind. Many of my professors and my friends at the university had little Christian connection. They didn't see any of the things we're talking about in this passage. And here's what's scary. And I typed it out. I want to read it to you. This is my story. Even though I'd grown up in church, For a while, I did not see these things. It was as though the spiritual blindness of those around me was contagious. But I had someone praying that the eyes of my heart would be open. (laughs) Someone who was praying for me that God would open the eyes of my heart to see the hope to which He called me and the riches that I have received that I would see His strong power, His everlasting power that's given to those who believe, that I would be granted the faith to be rooted and grounded in love so that I could understand what is the height and the depth and the length of God's love. 
love that will never, ever end. You see, if you are part of Kerwinsville Alliance or any other healthy church family, you have people that are praying that way for you. How cool is that? How cool is that? That kind of prayer is important because everyone needs an anchor. (laughs) We're talking to students primarily today. We're talking to teachers as well today. But actually, everyone needs someone praying for them. In fact, this is chapter 1 that we've been looking at in the book of Ephesians, this letter that is written to these Christians far away from the Apostle Paul. When he gets toward the end of it, he says this, By the way, pray for me. There it is, verse 19. Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given me so I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. (laughs) Paul's saying we all need people praying for us like this. And so I would say to students, I would say to all of us, make prayer a regular part of your own life. Pray for the people around you. This morning in the early service, I was standing in the lobby as people were coming in, and here comes Ed McCulley pushing his walker, and his wife Margaret behind him, pushing her walker. And I greeted them. And then I said to them, we could set up a racetrack if you guys wanted to drag race on these. And they did what you did. They kind of laughed, you know. I just took note of them. Kind of like having your spiritual antennas up. I just said, I need to pray for them more. Because never in their lives did they say, I think it'd be cool if we had matching walkers when we're old. Never. It's not something you aspire to, something you look for. And so keep your own spiritual antennas up. Look at the people around you, particularly in your church family, and say, God, show me how to pray for them. And he will do it. Pray for the people around you and pray for people in need in general. We don't just pray for our church family this way, you know. We pray for people anywhere and everywhere. I pray for people that I remember seeing when I was in the Middle East a few months ago. I just saw them, and their face is kind of in my mind that I can remember. And that's quite a thing to note because I have trouble remembering people. Well, you know how it is, right? Pray for people in need wherever they are, and pray for yourself. And all these people around you, people in need and self, pray that they would know God. Pray that you would know God. Pray that you would be able to help others know him as well. We all need an anchor. If you are part of Kermansville Alliance or any healthy church family, you have godly people who love you and pray for you. And it doesn't matter if you're going to school or not. You have godly people who love you and pray for you. I want to take a minute this morning. I've asked Matt McCracken to do it, to pray for those of us who are going to school. Whether you're going to school, whatever age you are, as a student, or going to school as a teacher, or going to school as an administrator, or a bus driver, if you're connected with education, I'd like to ask you to stand right now. Would you do that, please? Students, stand.
features, whatever. Just please stand. Okay, homeschooled, all of them stand. Good. I pity you guys that are homeschooled. I heard your teachers mean. <laughs> Just kidding. Just kidding. Okay, now those of you that are seated, I want you to, please remain standing. Those of you that are seated, I want you to rubberneck. Look around. Look, look at these people. Just look at them. Because here's what I'm asking you to do. I want you to get their faces in your head so you remember to pray for them. Okay? You got them? Okay. Matt McCracken, would you please stand where you are? And as these people remain standing, would you ask God to help them to know him?